Hello everybody. How's it going? Lekker. It's been a while. Amu gave away my sermon slot to somebody else because he felt guilty. So that's why you haven't seen me in a while. Um, but uh, it's good to be back. I hope you guys are doing well. I'm going to be following on from what Amu started last week. Um, he was talking about suffering and laid down a groundwork on the theology of suffering. And I'm going to follow on from that. And I'm going to be talking about the purpose of suffering tonight. This is a big topic. But I want to start with a photo. Uh, you can go to the slide there. Hannes. This is one of my favorite photos. It was uh, taken in 1990 on the 14th of Feb. Uh, and uh, the name of the photo is the pale blue dot. It was taken by the Voyager satellite as it was passing Neptune. The last photo, the last photo that it did take, well, a series of photos, and uh, it's sent back. And it just so happened to take a picture at the right angle where a ray of light caught the Earth, and that's the pale blue dot there in the middle of the picture right there. And uh, it was named the Pale Blue Dot after a book by a man by the name of uh, Carl Sagan. And uh, he was a famous scientist, but also famously an atheist. And uh, it was named that a little bit cynically because in the expanse of nothing, there is this pale blue dot. And for us, that's where life happens. In the midst of everything, wars are won and lost, loved people are born, loved people are lost, jobs are gained, jobs are lost. There's a lot, of, there's a lot that happens on that pale blue dot in the middle of nowhere, right? And you have this little bit of an, an Ecclesiastes moment, you know, it means nothing, it is nothing, Oof. and suffering Suffering is very much like that. Suffering can be isolating, right? Have you ever felt like nobody knows what you're going through, right? What I am experiencing is, is to such an extent that I don't know if I can relate to anybody. And in our modern language, we've started to call it, we've even started to call it something. We've replaced the truth with your truth, right? If it is your truth, then it must be true because we don't agree on much, but what we do agree on is that suffering is bad, right? No matter who you speak to, whatever tribe, language, tongue they, they, they come from, whatever religion they prescribe to, pain, bad, right? We know that much. And uh, it's, it's sometimes difficult to quantify that pain, that shared pain and that shared experience. It, although we know logically up in our heads, people have gone through the things that we've gone through, suffered through the things that we've suffered through, for some reason we can still feel like a pale blue dot in the middle of nowhere. Isn't that right? And so I want to talk about uh, a man named Jesus who also had 
a very alone moment. So let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to read from there. Oh, shucks, I forgot to pray. Let me just close our eyes. Let's start there. Let me close our eyes, please. <laughs> Dear Lord Jesus, thank you that you are merciful and uh, gracious. Father, just pray that you um, speak through me. And Jesus, that, that we speak the name of Jesus above every other, other thing, even everybody's pain and suffering. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, let's continue. Forgive me. Okay, so the story goes um, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy, then we read about how Jesus was born, Matthew 2, in chapter 3, he is baptized by John, um, and then right after his baptism, there's this amazing moment, the heavens open up, the voice of God declares, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit appears as a dove. Um, and, um, and so Jesus is baptized and confirmed into his ministry. Right after that, we read that he is led into the desert to be tempted. So let's read this, okay. Uh, Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay. Say, led by, up by the Spirit. I want you to remember this, okay? Because who got him into this situation? Okay, great. Let's move on. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Okay, obvious. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So let's take... Let's take a few things out of this, this passage of Scripture. Number one, Satan comes to tempt Jesus in three very specific areas. Number one, in verse three, we see that he comes to tempt Jesus with food or with the flesh. Right? When things are, when you're hungry, you eat. Right? That makes sense. So does that mean that you're sinning every time you have a meal? Obviously not. <laughs> Okay, but the point is, in whose time and according to whom? For Jesus, he lived by the word of God, 
When God says I must eat, then I will eat. But when God, when the Holy Spirit leads me to fast, then it is time to fast. Right? It's not so much a matter of, of what and where, but a matter of when. When does God tell me to move? When does God tell me to stay? Does this sound familiar? There is a time to act. There's a time not to act. There's a time to weep. There's a time to rejoice. Right? Everything in its time. And all of these temptations have a, a common theme in that they are pain relief. Right? We, we act according to base instinct rather than according to the Word of God. Well, I feel like this. This is my truth. I'm hungry. Right? And sometimes it gets out of hand. Sometimes emotion creeps into it. Okay? And, and, and this food is a metaphor for many things. Sometimes people turn to pornography. Sometimes people turn to alcohol. But there are things, base things in our lives that we turn to in a moment seeking pain relief. Right? This is, and the reality is that the pain is sometimes all that we know to be true. Right? I love how it says Jesus is hungry. And it's very obvious, but it's there for a reason. Okay? Make no mistake, Jesus wanted to eat. He was hungry, <laughs> as it says. Right? But how do I live my life? I live my life by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When he gives me the word to eat, then it is time to eat. Right? In the Song of Solomons, we read, Do not awaken love before it's time. There's that word, time, there. Okay, sermon's over. Time to. <laughs> Lol. Yeah, right? So, sometimes life happens or life doesn't happen. Maybe we're sitting around waiting to get married. Maybe we're waiting to get that job. And we can take a shortcut. But that shortcut is never going to fill that void that only Jesus can fill, right? The second way that he comes is with power. And uh, now listen to this. Yeah, Jesus is still weak, and he's still, he's still hungry. And what Satan does is he takes him to the top of the temple. So this, this would have been quite a feat, right? This, this would have been in the middle of Jerusalem, on top of the temple. This is very significant. We'll see why. Okay, why doesn't he just take him to some random building or a cliff? Why does it have to be the temple? The presence of God dwells in this building just behind Jesus and Satan brings him to this place and says, throw yourself off. I know you're tired. Okay? You probably, can't, you probably couldn't stand very well, very weak. Just, just throw yourself off. I mean, this is your dad's house. He's not going to let you. He's not going to. No. Jesus doesn't want that relief right? He wants to be obedient once again to the word of God. Listen to his response. Um, Jesus said to him again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God 
to the test. Isn't that beautiful? Okay? You can bring me in front of my father's house, but I will not doubt him. I will not test him. I will have faith in him that in his time he knows best. I will not move things along for the sake of my relief. And then number three, in verse nine, Satan tempts Jesus with position. And he takes him to a high mountain. Verse eight, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and, in, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I remember when I was, when I was in my teens, I remember reading this, and like, yeah, those angels came a bit late, eh? Could have come like a couple of verses earlier, <laughs> right? Why now? Well, this was the Lord's time to be ministered to, right? And how many times have we been in a situation where, you know, we, 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 we're holding out, we're holding out, we're holding out, and then it feels like we break. How many times do you think if we just held out a little bit longer, what are we missing out on, Right? Because the ministry from God via his angels is better than any position of power the, the enemy can come and give us. Okay? And note that, that Jesus doesn't contradict him. He doesn't tell him, well, they aren't yours to give, Satan. Because okay? at that time, they were his to give. The dominion of the world, we had handed over the dominion of the world to Satan and Jesus had not died yet for our sins. And so they were his to give. And Jesus knows that his destiny is to have the name above all names, right? Jesus knows that his destiny is to rule over the earth. That is his destiny. Again, Philippians 2, we read that the name of Jesus is above every other name. But if we read the verse before that, right, we read that, he has the name above every other name because he was obedient even to the point of death. There are no shortcuts. That thing that you want, that position of authority, and it's good to desire authority, but there's no shortcut in life, right? How many times do we say, well, you know, God, take away my pain, take away my suffering, take away this memory, take away this thing. And Jesus himself prayed this. He said, right in, in the garden of Gethsemane before he was crucified, he himself asked God, God, if it is your will, take this cup from me. It's not, it's not necessarily a bad prayer to pray. The difference is that Jesus, his response to God was that, not my will, but your will be done. See, the, the, the purpose of suffering is to purify. And I, and I don't, I don't want to be condescending either. I understand that in this room is, there is a representative of many different 
stories and situations. Just in this very room, people have lost loved ones. They've experienced extremely traumatic things. Maybe you have done things yourself that has brought upon guilt and shame. And I don't want to lessen those things or demean those things. But there is purpose in those things. Right? There is meaning. And, and here's the rub that we've got to deal with, okay? Is that it was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus here. It's, but, 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 no, wait, but, wait. God just wants good things for me, right? And he's promised me health, wealth, and beauty. Isn't that... Jesus promised that you would be persecuted for his namesake. That is what he promised. That is the only thing that he promised. Besides a great retirement plan, um, that you would be persecuted for his, that you would suffer. There's just one difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. For the Christian, for the Christian, your, your suffering takes on meaning. And there's nothing worse in life than meaningless suffering. It's one thing to go through something. It's another thing to go through something for nothing, right? But what Jesus offers is not to take away the pain and the suffering. In fact, he asks of us the very opposite. He says that if you want to be his disciple, you must... Pick up your cross and follow. What happens when you pick up your cross? Where does that journey end? Okay, you pick up your cross and you walk, you're walking. Where does that road end? At the top of the mountain where you get crucified. That's where that ends. Okay, let's all pick up our cross. Yay. And go to Wimpy, have a brekkie. No, that's not how it goes. We're going to pick up our cross. We're going to follow Jesus and we will identify with his death and resurrection. What are we saying when we say that? We're saying that you are going to suffer with Jesus for his namesake. And not only are you going to suffer, but he's asking you to embrace and to choose the suffering. Right? But then the big question is, why? Right? Who come? I said that your suffering takes on meaning. Okay, so let's read a little bit more. Let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Yes, hang on, I'm getting a little bit warm. Mark chapter 15 from verse 21. So this is the, the chapter on Jesus' um, trial by Pontius Pilate, his eventual crucifixion. And then um, burial. 
And we're going to read through the crucifixion. And I want you to see if you can spot a few parallels. Okay? Let's see if we can spot a few things. Yeah, the, the clues are already on the, on, the, on the slides. Okay? It's not going to be trick questions. Okay, I'm going to read Mark chapter 15. I'm going to read from verse 21. And they compelled the passerby Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from, from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. Nice place. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inspection, uh, sorry, the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. There's that word temple. Keep that in mind. We just read about the temple. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Does this sound familiar? So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe those who were crucified with him and reviled him. Okay, so, so there's a couple of things to pick up on here. So one that's just very interesting, they offer him wine with myrrh. Okay, and this was often eh, given to to people to dull the pain. Actually, I mean, wine is an obvious one. Myrrh was a, was a herb was seen, and and Jesus, no, we're not going for pain relief. We're going full for the full Monty. Right, we we're not taking any shortcuts. And then they start to mock him. Okay, now, and you've got to pick up what's going on here. Like when, when I was a bit younger and I remember reading through this, in, in the back of my head, not that I thought it necessarily directly, but in the back of my head, it's kind of like, okay, Jesus gets arrested the day before in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then it's all downhill from there, right? He can't do anything about it. He's going to have to go ahead with this because there's no way out. But then a, a couple of years later, I realized this is the king of kings we're dealing with. This is the lord of lords, right? He could snap his finger at any point, and the hosts of heaven would appear and slaughter everybody on the, slot, on the spot, right there and then. Which means that for every moment that he's going through this persecution, he has to physically will himself to be there, right? Every lashing that he's receiving, he has to take it. And the temptation to get out of it is there. Any minute, I could just, done, dead, all of you, right? Every step that he takes with this cross, he could get out of it. Every breath that he takes on this cross, he could get out of it. And then, they, and then these plebs, they don't even understand what I'm doing for them. They start to mock me. Hey! Come down here. They think they're mocking him. They are tempting him. Right? This is a get behind me Satan moment. <laughs> if ever there was one, right? 
They don't know who they're messing with. It, it, I, the fear of God comes upon me when I think about this. It's like, oh man, when they find out, right? It's not going to be a good day at the office. <laughs> right? You're tempting Jesus. And when the sixth hour, verse 33, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Elohim, Elohim. My God, my God, why have you so forsaken me? Riku did a, a great sermon on this a couple of weeks ago where he spoke about how Jesus was referring to the Psalms. Right? He, he started to quote the Psalms. Imagine being in such, in such pain and you're going through suffering in the most extreme form that we've known. Imagine being in those moments and your first instinct is to quote scripture. I want to be like that. Why do we go through trials and tribulations? Why do we go through the bad things? It's for moments like these. In temptation. When relief is offered. But we can go... I know that my God is able to save, but even if he doesn't, I will still worship him. I know that my God is able to save, but even if I've got to break here, I will only speak the word of God. That's got to be us. When the call comes, that we're ready for it. And those moments can either be embraced or we run away from them. As C.S. Lewis said, if you're looking for an easy religion, I don't recommend Christianity. Right? The Christian embraces suffering. But there's a couple of, of promises here. In verse 21, we, we read about Simon of Cyrene, who was, who was ordered. He was ordered, but he was there nonetheless. And he helped Jesus with his cross. There's a beautiful picture where Jesus, that Jesus reiterates during the Great Commission. He says, God to the nations, but I will be with you. We are going to face trials and tribulations. But you don't have to do it alone. You will be broken. You will be crushed and smashed put through your paces the bible does not say that he will not give you what you cannot handle it says he will not tempt you beyond what you can what you can handle right if if god is close to the to the broken hearted then our hearts get broken sometimes sometimes we are smashed sometimes we are defeated but our victory is in Jesus on the cross. Even today, you, you can be a Christian 
For 50 years, you're going to mess it up. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to take the pain relief in a moment where you need to stand strong. Hey, guess what? It's not on you anymore. That's the beauty of the whole thing. It's the unmerited grace. That whatever trial and tribulation you face, you have already won through the victory of the cross. This isn't a sermon about standing strong, although you can stand strong. This is a sermon about how Christ has stood strong for you on your behalf. The tests will come. Some of them you will pass. And some of them, because of your fallen nature, (laughs) you will fail. But the goodness of God lies in his son, Jesus Christ. And if you accept him, you win. End of story. It's done. Right? You keep your eyes on Jesus, you win. You take your eyes off him, you lose. And it's about as simple and as complicated as that. But not only that, is that he comes and he replaces everything about you. Your your sin, he replaces with glory. Your shame, he replaces with his victory. And your suffering, the meaninglessness of it, he replaces with eternal meaning. With eternal significance. And so the question is not, are we going to pass these trials or lose these trials? You're going to fail some of them. The question is, God, if I say yes to the cause, if I say yes to this sacrifice, to this suffering, that somebody else might come into a relationship with you, Jesus, I say yes. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to fail sometimes. But Jesus, I'd just like you to know that this is your fault because you chose me. (laughs) Right? That was a bit of a joke. Right? Slightly true. (laughs) You chose me. But if you would have me, if, if, if I have the honor to share the gospel with one person, no matter what it costs me, whether I have to give something up, whether I have to fly to another part of the world. Hello, Americans. It's American, not American. <laughs> right? I will, not only will I do it, but I will count it as joy so that one person can get saved. That is significant. That has eternal significance.